Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This is Palm Sunday, and we are celebrating today and remembering Jesus' entry into Jerusalem um, on the week before his crucifixion. And this is a day that Christians have remembered and commemorated and celebrated for years and years now, and we're going to do that this morning. We, we read the passage of Scripture in Mark uh, chapter 11 just a little bit ago. Um, Leighton read that for us, and we're going to look at that plus uh, Psalm 118 together today. But as we gather during this Easter season, I want to just reflect on the fact that Easter is a holiday, and with holiday comes special things. I don't know if y'all have any traditions in your house around the holidays, but do you have any Easter traditions? I mean, for some, it might be hiding Easter eggs, or it might be giving cards, or exchanging gifts, or, or baskets. You may have different things that you do in your family at Easter time. It might be dressing up in special clothes to go to a special service. I know that that's true for the Robinson household. Uh, next Sunday, um, you'll see me in a tie, one of a few days a year that I'm wearing a tie. That doesn't mean that y'all have to wear a tie. This is not telling the, you that you have to do that. I'm just telling you that I'm going to wear a tie next week. Why? Because it's Easter. I don't know. I'm going to wear a tie next week. There are, are special things that we do. One interesting thing about dressing up at Easter that I thought was really funny, this last week, my son, who's 10 years old, uh, down front here earlier, mentioned to uh, my wife that he wanted to wear a coat and a tie for Easter Sunday. Now, he said that, and I think about 30 seconds later, she was out the door to go find something for him to wear. It was just a big moment in our house. But there are, are special things that we do around the holidays, including Easter time. And as we think about these special things that we do around Easter time, one of the things that's special is that we sing certain songs. Uh, this is true certainly about the holidays like Christmas. We have songs we only sing at Christmas time, but it's even true about Easter. Maybe less so because we sing songs about the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, and what it has accomplished. We sing that 50 Sundays a year, right? 52 Sundays a year. Uh, but there are some songs that are traditionally Easter songs. I know that next week, Wildwood is going to be singing. Um, Christ is risen from the dead. It's a song we've, we've sung the last several Easter's together. There's music that we sing on Easter that is traditional. But this idea of songs being tied to seasons is not unique to us. As a matter of fact, it goes all the way back in history to the time of Christ. There were songs that Jesus sang tied to particular holidays. And one of the things I think is beautiful is that Jesus' songbook wasn't just a book that that we never know about. We don't, it's not that we don't know what Jesus sang. We know what he sang because there were songs that they sang that were tied to the Psalms. And specifically, one of the big holidays that they would celebrate was the holiday of Passover. And one of the songs that the Jewish people would sing, including Jesus, at the Passover time was Psalm 118. We know this uh, from historical attestation, but we also know this from the Gospels, as the four Gospel writers tell us that as Jesus is entering Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, the people are gathering around and they're singing Psalm 118. We see this in Mark 11 in the verses that uh, Leighton read for us just a little bit ago, but it says in 
verses 8 to 10, it says, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, those words that were being sung were not just written in the time of Jesus, and they weren't made up spontaneously by the crowd. Those were words to a song that was recorded for us in Psalm 118. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to look at Palm Sunday's original song. And I want us to to look at that song so that we might understand why it was being sung in that first Palm Sunday and also draw some applications for you and me. So if you got a Bible, open to Psalm 118. We're going to be looking today at, in pieces, all of the psalm, but I want to look specifically at verses 19 through 29, the verses immediately around the section recorded for us in Mark's gospel. Now, I want us to imagine, before I read this, that we're all entering into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. We're traveling from the countryside, the villages, the places where we live, and we're walking towards the city, and we're singing this song. We're headed towards the gate that is very near the temple that would lead to the place where we were going to worship and celebrate God's deliverance of His people in the past. And as we're walking... We sing this song, open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The, house, the Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so we have this song that was sung as they were entering Jerusalem on that very first Palm Sunday. Now, I want us to look more in depth at this song, and I want us to see a few things today from it. The first thing I want us to see is this. I want us to see the meaning of this song. Why were they singing it? What was the point? What's the message of it? When we think about the meaning of this song, the very first thing that we see is that this is a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of praise. It is looking to God and is saying, God, you are great. We see this in verse 1 and verse 29, bookends to this beautiful song, a repetition. It begins in verse 1 and says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. It ends in verse 29, oh, give thanks to the Lord. This is a a psalm of praise and thanksgiving to God. And not just in general, but it's a psalm of praise and thanksgiving to God because of his character, because of who he is and what he has done for his people. 
We see that as verse 1 and verse 29 continue. Again, as they echo each other, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That same phrase repeats in both spots. This is a psalm of praise, of thanksgiving to God because of who he is, the fact that he is a good God who is loving and kind to his people. He's committed to his people. This is the nature of this song. It's a song of praise. But not only is it a song of praise in general, but this is a song of of praise for God's deliverance of his people. It's a psalm of praise for deliverance from his people. We see this throughout the psalm. In verse 5, he says, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. This is a psalm about the Lord setting him free. Verses 8 to 9 mentions how we can take refuge in the Lord. It says it is better to take refuge in the Lord than it is to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. This is a song of deliverance of God's people taking refuge in their God. Not only that, but verse 14 talks about the Lord becoming our salvation. It says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Verse 25 echoes that in the words that we sang earlier. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. This is a psalm of praise for who God is, but also for how he has applied his character for our deliverance. And one of the things that's noteworthy was you just see these up there. Who is the hero of this song? Is it Israel? No, the hero is who? It's the Lord. Over and over again, it's the Lord who is doing these things. It's the Lord who is the refuge. It is the Lord who has set them free. It is the Lord who has become their salvation. It is the Lord who is saving them in response to their cries and their prayers. This is a song that focuses on praising God for his deliverance. But what's interesting is it's not just deliverance out of good times. It's deliverance out of times of struggle. This is a psalm that focuses on God's deliverance of his people as they were struggling. Listen to the references of that. In in verse 5, I read it earlier, but he says, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. He's not saying the Lord delivered me when things were good. He says the Lord delivered me when I was distressed. A little further on in verse 7, it says, the Lord is on my side as my helper. I I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. This is not a time saying the Lord has delivered me when everybody loved me. It says the Lord delivered me in a time and a season where those around me were hating me. He goes on in verses 10 to 13 and he describes the climate where the salvation of the Lord has come. It says, all the nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. What is this a song about? This is a song about praising God for his deliverance of his people in the midst of struggle. Now, the reason why this song was, was written and the reason why this song was sung at the time of Passover was the time of Passover was a remembrance of God's deliverance of his people in the past. Remember, they were slaves in Egypt. 
and God came and delivered them. Because of his loving kindness, because of his goodness, God came and delivered his people out of Egypt and took them to the promised land. Out of their time of struggle, God rescued them and became their salvation. Because of that historical context, it was common for the Jewish people to sing Psalm 118 as they celebrated the Passover. And it was on the way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover that we see the events of Mark chapter 11. It was common, it was normal for those people to be singing that song on that day as Jesus entered. But here's what's interesting. The situation seems a little amped up in Mark 11, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's more than just, hey, we're singing this song. I mean, if you come to Wildwood on Christmas Eve, by golly, we're going to sing Silent Night. I mean, every year we're going to sing it. We're just going to do it, okay? I'm, as long as I'm around, we're going to sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve. Um, but there seems to be something more than just a song is being sung just because of the holiday. It seems as though this song is being sung because there is something that has amped up the energy on this particular Passover in Mark chapter 11. I mean, listen to what it says. It says, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting. And then we go into the song. There's a focal point on this Passover, not just that it's a holiday. The holiday certainly had people excited and thinking of Psalm 118, but on this particular Passover, there is somebody who is approaching Jerusalem that has got everybody fired up, and that is the person of Jesus. There's a celebration that is, that is happening around him. The people are watching Jesus enter, and they're, they're wondering. They're wondering in their heads, is this the year? Is this the year? Is this the time? Is Jesus the one? who is going to deliver us from our time of struggle. I mean, remember, the, the nation of, of Israel at that time was under the thumb of the Roman rulers. And as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, there is reason to believe that maybe he is the one who's going to overthrow the Romans and restore the greatness of Israel. And so not only are they singing a song that reminds them of Israel's past, but they sing it in front of Jesus and around him because they're hopeful that he might be the one. They are spreading out branches and coats before him as you would for royalty because they're thinking maybe he is the one who is going to make the promises of Psalm 118 come true again in that generation. Maybe he's the promised Messiah. That's what they're thinking as they enter. That's why it's charged up. And there was reason for them to believe that, wasn't there? I mean, think of what Jesus had just spent a few years doing. Thousands of people come to him hungry. What does Jesus do? He feeds them. Thousands of people come to Jesus with physical affliction and illness and demon possession. And what does Jesus do? He heals them and he casts out demons. Thousands of people come with a lack of an understanding of Scripture, and what does Jesus do? He teaches them in a way they've never heard taught before. And not only all of those things that happened over a number of years, but in the events that happened just before his entry into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, that would have made the papers. 
And so just on the other side of the Mount of Olives, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and then he rides a wave of popularity over the top of the Mount of Olives and down through the Kidron Valley and up to the gates of Jerusalem. The people are swept along thinking maybe he's the one. I hope he's the one. He's probably the one. Now, I want us to get back to the song and and back to our, our study of it in a moment, but I want to just ask the question, Is it possible that any of us today are here today because it's a holiday? Is it possible that there's any of us who are here today because we have been swept along in the wave of excitement? I mean, there were kids up here waving branches. We don't do that every Sunday. That was pretty neat, right? You're you're here today. you You want to see that. You're here today. You're here next week because it's the one time you can get your child to wear a coat and tie. And so you're excited about that. You're here today because family's coming in from out of town and it's what you do on the holiday. Is it possible that we're here today and we know generally enough about Jesus to be excited about him, at least in general, and we, we ride that wave into churches on Easter and we are excited about what we might hear? That's what happened in the first century. There was a hope, there was an excitement. Maybe Jesus was the one. They were singing a song that was full of promise. It was full of hope. But what's fascinating to me is that it landed with such a thud. I mean, they're they're singing this excited song on a Sunday. But on Friday, what happened? The crowds are shouting, crucify him. What happened? I mean, Jesus, not only those things, but Jesus had, had lived out his life with, with such integrity and with such power and with such authority. And yet there were people before Jesus ever entered Jerusalem who already had rejected him. Why? What happened? Well, one of the things I think is fascinating is when you look at the song that, that Jesus and his friends were singing as he was entering Jerusalem on that day, the song tells us what happened. The song tells us. Look at what it says in in verse 22. Just just the the line before, we're going to sing the Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The line before that in the song, what does it say? It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The rejection of Jesus was anticipated. We knew it was going to happen. Now, those who were gathered that day as they sang that song were probably thinking, you know what, we're the Jewish people, we're the little guy, we've been rejected by the Romans, and this guy's going to make us great again. It's going to make Israel great again. I'm sorry, I had to stay with what, what, what he was thinking as they were, as they were singing this song as he approaches Jerusalem. But Jesus knew that there was something else happening. Jesus knew that the something else that was happening was that he was the one who was the stone who was going to be rejected by his own people. Now, why did they reject him? And furthermore, why do we reject him today? Well, one of the reasons why Jesus is rejected um, is because some people will reject him because of what he did. Some people will reject him because of what he did. Now, I think this is representative of the Pharisees. They had already chosen to reject Christ before he ever entered Jerusalem. 
They, they already had it in for him. As a matter of fact, not only did they have it in for Jesus, but they wanted to kill Lazarus too. That's what John's gospel tells us. They wanted to clean up all the evidence of anything miraculous that Jesus had done. That's how much they rejected him. And they rejected him on the basis of what he did. They didn't like the fact that he healed on the Sabbath. I mean, Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. They didn't like that. And so they rejected him. They didn't like what he did. They didn't like the fact that he taught with authority. He didn't have to reference some other rabbi or or teacher. He spoke directly with the authority from God. They didn't like that. So they rejected. They rejected him because of what he did. They didn't like the, the, the fact that he called them hypocrites and called out their hypocrisy in public places. They didn't like that. They didn't like what he did. And so because of the fact that the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders didn't like what Jesus did, they had rejected him even before we get to the moments of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They rejected him on the basis of what he did. And you know what? As I think about it, the same thing happens in our day too, doesn't it? Same thing happens in our day. We reject Christ because of things that he has done. You know, sometimes it might be a, a moral area. Sometimes people will reject Jesus because they don't want to live under his lordship in their life. They reject him because they say, you know what, Jesus has said certain things about sexual behavior, and I don't want to live under that guideline. I don't want to live under that provision, so I'm going to reject Jesus entirely because I don't like what he did. I don't like what he said about that. Some people reject Jesus because they don't don't want to embrace the fact that he said that when he returns, judgment will come upon the earth. And so they, re- they reject it. Some people reject Jesus because he, what he taught about judgment, the fact that we'll have to give an account for our lives and there's a rejection of Jesus. Other times, people will reject Jesus on the basis of what he did and taught regarding his exclusivity. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there are people who will reject Jesus because of that statement. People who have grown up practicing other religions this is often the case. They, they grew up Buddhist. They grew up Hindu. They, they grew up Muslim. They're practicing another religion, and they get to that claim of Christ. As long as you want to talk about Jesus as a good teacher, well, they're okay with that. But you get into Jesus as one who provides an exclusive claim that he is the way for someone to be connected to God forever, and there's a rejection of Jesus on the basis of what he did. The Pharisees are an example of that. And you know what? There's probably some of us in this room who would fit that category too. We're here today and we're rejecting Christ on the basis of what he did. But you know what? There were others who rejected Christ, not on the basis of what he did, but on the basis of what he didn't do. And I think this is where we get the crowds. You see, the crowds were excited to celebrate Jesus when he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. The crowd was excited to, to celebrate Jesus when he was doing everything that they wanted him to do, when, they, when he was healing the masses. The crowd was excited to celebrate Jesus when he taught with this authority and he, he looked very stately. The crowd was excited to, to celebrate Jesus when they thought that he was going to overthrow the Romans. But what happened? Jesus goes to the cross and on the way there, he ends up standing beside Pilate, the Roman leader in his day. And he stands beside him looking anything but triumphant, crown of thorns on his head, mocking robes on his body, beaten and bruised and keeping his mouth shut. You see, they 
rejected Christ in that moment. And they turned on him and shouted, crucify, because he didn't meet their expectation for what they thought he was going to do. They were rejecting Jesus, not on the basis of what he did, but on the basis of what he didn't do. You know, the the passage that we read earlier in Psalm 118, it talks about the stone that the builders rejected. You know why they would reject stones? As they're building, they might have 100 stones, but if they came across a stone that they didn't understand how it fit, they would discard it so as to not use it and throw the building out of kilter. As they're entering Jerusalem that day, they're singing this song, and what Jesus is saying is that this stone of himself, people are looking at him, and they're saying, he doesn't fit my expectation of what Messiah would look like, so I'm going to discard it. Jesus wasn't doing what they wanted him to do. They're rejecting him on the basis of what he didn't do. Now, does that ever happen for us? Yeah, it happens for us. There's times that we reject Christ on the basis of what he doesn't do. I know people that that have had huge crisis of faith because God hasn't answered their prayer for a child or for a spouse. And they end up saying, because Jesus hasn't answered that prayer, I don't know that I can be attached to him any longer. The challenging spot, rejecting Christ on the basis of what he didn't do. He didn't meet our expectation or our hope. People who've had children who have died young and early and the pain of that, I can't even imagine, but there are some who will reject Christ because of that pain. There are some who will reject Christ because he didn't answer their prayer and bring about reconciliation in their marriage. Their husband walked out. Their wife had an affair. Sometimes we reject Christ on the basis of what he doesn't do. Young people who are praying and saying, God, just let the bullying stop. Let the people accept me. Let me have friends at school. And when it doesn't happen for a week or two or three, begin to think, is he even out there? Is he even real? See, it's, it's, there's times, friends, that we reject Jesus, not on the basis of what he does, but on the basis of what he doesn't do. And I, I think that's what happened in the first century. I think it's what happened with the crowd. The Pharisees, they just rejected him outright. He didn't fit their plan. They didn't like what he was saying. But, but the crowd, they liked him for a while until he didn't do what they wanted him to do. In both cases, though, the end result is the same. There's a rejection of the Savior. But here's what we need to remember, friends. The rejected one is the resurrected one. The rejected one is the resurrected one. I love the fact that they're walking into the city and they're singing this song. And the verses that are recorded for us in Mark's gospel are this, Hosanna, save us, we pray, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But I think they were singing the whole song. I think they go back and they were singing about this stone that was rejected. And part of the reason why I think that is look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12. I think this is just almost funny. Mark 11, they're singing this song. Mark 12, Jesus gets to Jerusalem and he begins to teach. What does Jesus say when he teaches? He talks about being rejected. He tells a parable about rejection. And then he gets all the way down to verse 10 and he says, have you not read this scripture? And I think that he probably had a little, almost a smile on his face as he said that. Remember the one you just sang? Have you not read this scripture? Don't you understand? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous 
in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived that, they, that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and they went away. Friends, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is referring here to himself. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The rejected one is the resurrected one, and therefore it makes sense for us to connect our lives to him. See, when we reject Christ based on what he did, we forget the fact of who he was. When we reject Christ on the basis of what he didn't do, we forget the fact of who he was. He is the resurrected one. He is the one that regardless of what our feeling is, he is the one who is plumb and square. He is the foundation upon which our life can be built, should be built, was created to be built. We are connected to him and we trust in him. The resurrected one, even if he doesn't seem to fit in or make sense to us all the time, we lean back into him and we trust him. Why? Because he is good and his loving kindness endures forever. And he demonstrated his power through the resurrection. Therefore, we can hope and trust in him. Think again about the song that was sung as they entered. It was a song of praise to God for his character. This morning we gather, we can sing a song of praise to God for his character. God, you are good and your loving kindness endures forever. We can sing that. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We can sing that together today. But as we sing that, let's also remember the deliverance that God has offered to us. On the basis of his character, on the basis of who he is, he offers us deliverance. Just as he delivered his people Israel from Egypt in the time of the Passover, so God offers us deliverance from our sins today. He offers to take us from this dark world that we are struggling in. We are broken people living in a broken world. He offers to take us from that place to eternity. Jesus says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is a hope and a promise of eternal life, a deliverance from this dark world into glory, forgiveness of our sins, reconciliation with God. All of that is offered to us in Christ, and it's offered not on the basis of our performance but of his. Just as we saw earlier in the passage, it's not Israel that was the hero of the song. It's the Lord that is the hero of the song. And the same is true for us. It is not you and I who are the heroes of our salvation or of our Christianity. It is Jesus who is the hero of our Christianity. It is Jesus who is the hero of our eternity. He is the one that is offering us new life and hope in him. This is the truth of the gospel that we would place our faith and trust in the one who is rejected but is resurrected. That our lives would fit with him and that we would have a hope of eternity as a result. Friends, as you are here today and you have ridden this wave in for this holiday season, I pray that you would not come this close without understanding who Jesus is and receiving him and not rejecting him. That receiving Christ can happen in a moment. It happens by faith as we place our faith and our trust in him. And so before we close our service singing about our God who is mighty to save, I want us to pray. And if you are leaning into Christ today, I pray that you would just silently in your heart pray along with me as we trust Christ together.
Father, we thank you so much for just the privilege of walking with you and knowing you. We thank you that you are a God who is good and who is loving to us. And Father, we thank you that you're a God who is offering us deliverance. You're offering us salvation, not on the basis of our good works, but on the basis of Jesus and his great work. And Father, I pray that you would help us to to lean into him and to trust in the stone that was rejected, but has become the precious cornerstone, that our lives would be secured to him, that his death would pay the penalty for our sins, and that his life would give us the hope of eternity. And Father, I pray if anyone is here today who has never placed their faith and trust in you, that they would do so even now and respond in faith as we sing today. But you are God who is mighty to save. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.